Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. The title of our study or lesson this morning, or afternoon rather, is uh, Paul's Mistake. And in looking at uh, a title like that, of course, that should straight away get, get you thinking, oh, what's this going to be about? Uh, now, Paul's mistake is not a theological one, but uh, we want to explore an incident that happened in the life of Paul that I think is a very puzzling one that I have puzzled over that uh, in speaking with people and discussing this, I find that uh, many other people have also puzzled over. And in it is contained a lesson for us as well, that we can learn something uh, in our walk with the Lord. But we find something in the scriptures that men of God have often made mistakes, many times. We have many records in the scriptures of uh, good, faithful men of God, and we also have a record of their blunders along the way. And uh, that shows us the human element, you know, it shows us that uh, even great men that are handpicked by God can fail sometimes. There are many examples, David is one example, uh, Elijah is another example, uh, where we see this uh, man who stood firmly for the truth had this moment of disappointment and discouragement, and he took off and ran into the wilderness. So there are mistakes of disappointment, discouragement, but there are also mistakes of zeal. And uh, in our story today, we want to look at is a particular mistake of zeal and good desire and good intention and good motive that actually resulted in a sad loss to the church. And it resulted in uh, the great apostle Paul ending up in prison and in chains unnecessarily without having to be so, a situation that prevented him from traveling and freely preaching the gospel. And uh, as we shall see, it's a circumstance and a situation that could have easily been avoided. So we want to explore that a little bit. This is just by way of introduction. And uh, I think we all remember the story of uh, Paul's calling when God called him. Uh, he did indicate that he would have certain trials and difficulties in his life, in his experience. We find that recorded when Jesus spoke to Ananias to go and uh, pray for Paul that he might receive his sight. This is what it says. But the Lord said unto him, this is Acts 9 verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was called for a ministry by God and in that ministry he would suffer. But not only that, he would be a great witness for God before Gentiles and before kings. Christ indicated that he would do so. But it was as a prisoner that Paul before, uh, stood before kings as a witness. And uh, it wasn't necessary that he come before them in chains as a prisoner. But that's what ended up happening. And it was while Paul was in prison, was in jail, as a result of this particular incident that we're going to look at today, it was during that time that he actually authored some of his most beloved epistles. And so we can see that God, even though his men, his followers, his people sometimes make mistakes, God can use a mistake to turn out a blessing, to bring about a blessing out of it. And so God does not abandon his people. So that's something to also keep in mind as far as this situation is concerned, because we also make mistakes today. And we make grave blunders today. 
And the Lord does not abandon us. The Lord does not forsake us. We see that in the story of Paul. Anyway, the story is recorded for us in Acts chapter 21. The physician Luke, of course, who was a member in Paul's traveling party. He was a companion to Paul and an eyewitness to many of his uh, incidents and accounts that uh, occurred. He records that in Acts 21. So uh, let's read it together. And the story here begins with Paul's last journey heading to Jerusalem. And this is what we have recorded. Acts 21 verse 1. And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them, that is from the believers of the church of Ephesus, after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Cus, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from thence unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden." A very clear eyewitness account of the progress of this journey. And if we were to look at it on a map, just to get a bit of a visual, they are traveling on the way back to Jerusalem. And Luke, who was on the ship with Paul, is recording these incidents, all these stops along the way. And they make their way down the Mediterranean there, and they stop in Tyre. This is where the ship was, to going, was going to unload. And this is one of the stops on their journey. And this progress and how long it took, and all these things that are recorded by Paul, uh, by Luke, and the stop in Tyre, uh, something interesting occurs in Tyre. Let's keep reading. Verse 4 continues the story. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way, and they all brought us on our way with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. Interesting account. I'm not sure if you ever puzzled about this story, but here is the situation. They stop in Tyre. Everyone knows Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. These disciples come and they tell Paul, without giving him any reason, that he should not go to Jerusalem. And then the account continues, says, well, and then we kept on our journey and we just kept on going. And where were they going? To Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Something here does not seem to add up. And so we'll just put that on our map here. This is how far they were from, the, from Jerusalem. So they were, uh, they were rather close. Now, it, the, the account does not tell us any reason that is given to Paul or his companions as to why they should not go to Jerusalem. It just says, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, it's... Uh, <clears throat> It's a clear command, and this is what we want to explore a little bit today. It's a very clear command that is given, and yet we see that the response is in opposition to that command. Why is, why is this so? What would bring about a situation where the Apostle Paul would do that? Is that indeed what happened, or are we misreading the story here somewhere? What does this really mean? Now, Paul was well aware of, we want to backtrack just a little bit here to get a little bit more background of our story. Paul was well aware of what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. The fact that these disciples, when they gave him this message, they did not indicate any reasons as to why he should not go to Jerusalem. It wasn't because Paul was unaware. He was actually well aware of what would happen. Because some instances, it's interesting to... Uh, to read some commentators as to how they think this story, you know, how they interpret this story. And they say, well, you know, the, the disciples here were just giving Paul a warning. You know, 
they were just telling him, you know, maybe it's a good idea not to go. It was just uh, an expression of their concern for him. It wasn't something that uh, was so clear cut. But Paul knew very well what was waiting for him. He wasn't uninformed or he wasn't unaware. We read about that in Acts chapter 20, a little earlier, in verse 17 and 22. It says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And this is what he told the elders. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Spirit witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or are waiting for me. So Paul, on his way back, he stops there in Miletus, calls for the elders of Ephesus and has this farewell gathering with them and tells them, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen to me there, but I do know this. Every stop along the way, the Holy Spirit is witnessing that there is imprisonment and bonds waiting for me in Jerusalem. So Paul knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. But he had this determination, he had this desire, this overriding ambition or will that he needed to be there no matter what. And we will see why that is. And so as he makes his way closer, we find this incident where we left him entire and the disciples again repeat the same warning that is repeated from city to city that he was traveling through. And so Paul did not really need any more warning as such, and yet he receives a repetition of the message. Now, some people, some commentators, and uh, doubtless many of us, I'm sure, find it hard to attribute some wrongdoing to the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the tireless evangelist, the preacher who traveled the world at the time. He authored most of the New Testament. He's a great role model for us. It's kind of hard for us to imagine or believe that Paul would make such a seemingly blatant mistake. And so the idea is suggested that perhaps these disciples at Tyre were a little bit concerned for Paul's, well, for Paul's well-being, and so they simply were giving him a warning, expressing the desire of their heart. But the problem with that idea is that Luke records that the message that these disciples gave was through the Spirit. Now, I don't want us to miss this, because the account of Acts is actually recorded by Luke, doubtless a number of years after these incidents had all happened. Now we know the end of the story, Paul does end up in Jerusalem, so we know that. So Luke writing the book of Acts years on with the advantage of hindsight, when he comes to this particular account, when he comes to this particular story, he makes sure that he notes for us that this warning that was given to Paul entire was actually through the Spirit. Something that happened there that seems to be rather strange, don't you think? Rather odd. And so what would cause the Apostle Paul to read or to interpret God's clear prohibition, because that's what that was. It was a prohibition. And if you look it up in the Greek when it says, don't go to Jerusalem, it's actually very emphatic. It, it was, stop going up to Jerusalem. Don't do it. And this message came through the Spirit. What would cause the Apostle Paul to take that prohibition and somehow in his mind, he must have interpreted it in a way that he understood it to be only as a warning from God. Or, Paul, this is what's going to happen to you in Jerusalem. There was something going on in Paul's mind. And this is what we want to find out. Somehow, Paul felt 
that there was a call of duty that was calling him much louder than this prohibition that was given. And in so doing, we have this mistake that occurred. And again, for us to really understand that, we need to delve a little deeper uh, into the story and see where it all started. So we're gonna backtrack once more and go back to Acts 19. Acts 19, we find Paul is still in Ephesus. And this is just after the incident where the magicians had burned their books in Ephesus. You remember that story? And verse 19, uh, verse 21 here records for us, after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now don't get this wrong. When it says here, Paul purpose in the spirit, it means Paul made up his mind. Okay, this is, means in his heart, just like uh, in Daniel, uh, the Bible tells us in Daniel, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. You remember that story? In the same way we find here the Apostle Paul and this great desire and this idea comes to him and he makes this decision, this commitment. He says, you know what? I am determined. I'm going to go and visit. After I visit Macedonia, I want to go to Jerusalem. And after that, I want to go to? To Rome. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with making a decision like that. God does not always guide us before we make any decision. So there's nothing wrong in Paul making that decision or that determination. But God does expect us that if we make decisions and he sends us a message to guide us on our way that might not be in perfect harmony with our decision, he expects us to change our decision or change our mind and follow his instruction and his guidance and his will. And so at this point, there was nothing wrong with Paul's resolve and Paul's determination and what he decided in his mind. And a little later, we find a little bit more detail as to what occurred. Acts chapter 20, verse 1 to 3. And after the uproar was ceased, that's the uproar in the theater in Ephesus, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece and there abode three months. So he's following his plan. He'd made a plan traveling plan and he was following it and he ends up in Greece and in Greece there he's already beginning his return back. He stops for three months in one place and we understand that uh, the place he stopped at for three months is actually the city of Corinth at the time. And it was actually while he stayed there in Corinth that we also know that he authored the epistle to the Romans <laughs> while he was spending three months in Corinth on this trip back where he had made this determination to visit Jerusalem and then visit Rome. Now this background is very important to us because it gives us a little bit of a perspective into Paul's mindset and Paul's thinking when he is writing certain letters. Very important, it's very helpful for us to understand where Paul was and what kind of mind frame he was in to help us appreciate the context and background of the epistles that he wrote. In the epistle to the Romans, he gives us a little bit of an insight as to what was going on in his mind that actuated him and motivated him to have this great desire to go to Jerusalem, where he said he purposed in the spirit that he must visit Jerusalem. So we're going to read that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to read another uh, verse in Acts 20. 
which tells us another reason why Paul wanted to be in Jerusalem, particularly when he wanted to be in Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And so Paul wanted to be there, particularly wanted to be there on the day of Pentecost. So I want to keep that in the back of our minds because we're going to come, come to that in a minute. But what is it that Paul wrote in the epistle to the Romans that reveals to us a little bit of his motive and desire of why he might have wanted to be in Jerusalem? And we find that recorded in Romans chapter 9. We'll read a few verses there. And verse 1 tells us, I say the truth in Christ Jesus, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Now don't get, don't, don't miss this. What Paul is about to say is something that lies heavy on his heart. Three times he gives this affirmation. You only need one. He gives this threefold affirmation. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. And then he says, my conscience is bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. So what he's about to say is something that's from the very depths of his being. And of course, I think we're familiar with the next verses it tells us in verse 2, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. It's hard for us as Gentiles to understand the emotion that Paul had as he penned these words for his brothers and sisters. He said, he said, you know, God is bearing me witness. I'm, I'm telling you the truth in Christ Jesus. I'm not lying. I wish that I was accursed for my brethren's sake. Remember anyone else who did that? Moses had a very similar expression in his experience. You see, Paul was a Jew and he loved dearly his brothers and his sisters, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. The Jews who had rejected the Messiah that had come. And this, this burning desire in his heart, one overriding motive and call of duty that he felt, he wanted to preach the gospel to the Jews so much. He wanted them to accept Christ so much that he said, I wish I was accursed of God for my brethren's sake. You know what that means? If my loss would result in their salvation, then I choose that. That's how strong, that's how deep this conviction and this desire and this motive was in Paul's heart. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. It would be good if we had motives like that, wouldn't it, for our brothers and sisters. And so this great apostle had this great motive. He loved all this ritual and ceremony of the Jews and he longed to express to them that all these things had met their fulfillment in the Messiah. And so it was his desire to go to Jerusalem, and particularly he wanted to be there at what time? On the day of Pentecost. And you know why? Because at that time, Jerusalem would be crowded with Jews from all over the empire. And Paul wanted to be there. This is a great golden opportunity to tell my brothers and sisters about Jesus. And this was burning in his heart. And he's writing his letter to the Romans while he's still in Corinth, and that's just flowing out of his heart. And he's telling them, you know what? This is how I feel about my brothers. 
And as he's writing that, he has on his, on his itinerary, his plan is he's going right to Jerusalem to actually be there on the day of Pentecost. And it was on that journey that God began to express to Paul that, Paul, your desire is really good, but it is not my will for you to be in Jerusalem at that time. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, what will happen there is you will have bonds and affliction. And in every city on the way back to Jerusalem, Paul received that repeated message time and again, intensifying more and more as he got closer to Jerusalem. Now, Paul's uh, method of witness and sharing was expressed in another letter earlier when he wrote to the Corinthians. He had expressed his desire to win the Jews as well, and he expressed a little bit of his methods in doing so. I think we're familiar with that as well. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 22. And it says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This was Paul's motive in doing the things he did. He wanted the salvation of people. And especially of all people, the people that were most dear to his heart, he said, are his kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jews. And he wanted so much to go and proclaim the Messiah to them. At that great gathering of the nation of Israel on the day of Pentecost, he hasted to be there. You know, it would have been very interesting. All the, all the services that would happen on the day of, Pent of Pentecost, Paul thought, you know, I can tell them that all these services have better fulfillment. The Messiah that they killed, he's the one. He is the true fulfillment. He's the true Lamb of God. That was what he was thinking of. And yet we see that God in his wisdom foresaw things that Paul could not foresee. And because God foresaw certain things, he desired to warn his apostle. You see, God had given Paul another ministry. God did not want Paul in Jerusalem at that time. God had given Paul a ministry to go to who? To the Gentiles. Now, he did go to Israel many times. He did preach to, uh, to Jews in synagogues. But he was primarily the apostle that was called to go to the Gentiles. God had opened up doors for him to travel to the far-flung reaches of the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel and establishing churches among heathenism, Gentiles, paganism. That was his calling and that was his, uh, his special talent and gift in doing so. Now, it doesn't mean God forbade him from preaching to Jews, but that was the primary calling for his ministry. And so we find that Paul all along had this burning desire. It's kind of like, in a sense, I can relate to it. You know, we preach to a lot of people, but especially if you're, a, if you're from a Seventh-day Adventist background, you have a certain affinity, you know, a certain connection with our brothers and sisters in the church. Isn't that right? And many times the opportunity, you know, you long for them to accept the only begotten Son of God. It's kind of nothing much has changed. Like we can preach the gospel to anyone, but you know what I mean? Paul had that even way more. These were not just his spiritual brothers and sisters. This, these were his kinsfolk. These were his relatives. These were his blood, flesh, and bone. The Jews, the Jewish nation. And so we see here that Paul had this zeal. And this zeal caused him to interpret God's instruction in a way that was not entirely as God intended. He felt the call for duty 
so much that it actually clouded his understanding in that particular incident of where God particularly wanted to go. You see, Paul really was convinced this must be God's will for him. I'm not saying Paul was blatantly going against God's will. Something was going in his mind that colored his judgment and caused him to misunderstand and misinterpret in particular God's intention. Because it's a good thing to go and preach the gospel to the Jews, isn't that right? On the day of Pentecost, all of them are gathered there. You don't have to go to every city. They're all going to come to Jerusalem. And how many times, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a similar situation where we make decisions and we come to conclusions believing fully well with every good motive that it is God's will for us to be at such and such a place or to be doing thus and so. And it might not be wrong in and of itself, but it also might not be where God wants us at that particular time. And because we convince ourselves it is God's will, the little messages that God might send our way as to correction or guidance, we are prone to misinterpret and misunderstand them. Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that this is God's will for us. You know what I'm talking about? How often does that happen to us? It happens a lot. It happened to the great Apostle Paul and it's recorded for our learning and for our instruction. That's how subtle that can be, brothers and sisters. And that's a lesson for us to keep in mind as well. Let's look at how strong this determination is. We'll keep going with the story. We left him at Tyre, so we'll pick up where we were there. Acts 21, verse 7, down to 16. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. This is Philip, one of the seven deacons, was anointed or ordained to the church. And so they come and they take up lodging with him. They're in Caesarea. They're very close to Jerusalem now. And uh, if we look at it on the map, this is what it looks like. And they're getting closer and closer. Now something very interesting happens there. Verse 10 picks up the account. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Here is a very graphic enacted prophecy. Very, very impacting because it had a very strong effect. They come to the house of Philip and this man, a prophet, a recognized prophet, Agabus, comes from Judea and he has a special message from God. He says it in no uncertain terms, right? You know, when somebody shares a doctrine with you or me, we're told to ask for what? A plain, thus saith the Lord, right? Here's this prophet and he says what? Thus saith the Holy Spirit. Who's speaking here? This is Jesus, the head of the church, right? Jesus is the God of the church. He has a message and he says in no uncertain terms. And he, he, he goes through this exercise. He, buy, he takes Paul's belt or sash and he ties himself up and he says, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this girdle. Very clear message. So much so, verse 12, this is what happened. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, 
What mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one nation of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And so they continue their journey and they end up in Jerusalem. You know, if Paul had followed the instruction of the Spirit here, we would have had a very different narrative recorded by Luke. It probably would have been like a previous incident where the disciples were in Asia one time and the Bible says they tried to, to go into Bithynia and the Spirit forbade them. You remember that story? And they didn't go. They went somewhere else. We would have had a similar account, but here we have this painful picture of what happened in that place. It's a really painful scene if you really think about it. Really heart-wrenching and painful scene that occurred. The message of the prophet Agabus was so clear that everyone was convinced what God's will was, except Paul, isn't that right? Because when Luke says, then we and they of the company heard this, they besought him, and that includes Luke as well. Luke and everyone who is in Paul's company recognized God's voice. They said, Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. So intent were they that some of them were actually crying. It's a very painful scene. And then Paul tells them, why you cry and break my heart like this? I'm going to Jerusalem even if it kills me. Nothing wrong with his determination and his will. But that strong desire overrode his clear perception of discerning what God wanted for him. It was clear for his brethren. But Paul felt that God had put him on this path. He had convinced himself he had to be in Jerusalem. And sadly, the account bears out itself where the brethren are at their wit's end, right? It said, when he would not be persuaded, we said the Lord's will be done. That's, that was, that's what you say when you give up, when you don't know what else to say, right? It said, Lord, we've tried to convince him. He is beyond persuasion. He's in your hands now. There's nothing we can do. And so he continues, and all of them with him, they continue to Jerusalem. I wonder what kind of a journey that would have been. They're going to Jerusalem, having just received a message from God. Don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul is the beloved apostle, their companion. They're going with him. Kind of like when the disciples, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples uh, one time said, let's just go and die with him in Jerusalem. Remember that? They didn't want him to go to Jerusalem. And apparently here we see that a very interesting parallel between Paul and Christ. Paul must have seen himself in the same shoes as Christ. Where Christ was going to Jerusalem. And he was going to Jerusalem to die. But Christ was in his father's perfect will. His disciples didn't want him to go, and despite their warnings, God had fully led Christ in every step of the way. He was going there, carrying out God's will. In Paul's account, it's very similar, but it's a little different. God had indicated what he wanted. But Paul saw himself, obviously, as a martyr, and this is it. He's going to die. He's going to go preach to the Jews, even if it kills him. Isn't that what he said in Romans? He says, I wish I was a cursed from God for my brethren, according to the flesh. So, so this account kind of gives us a little bit more, you know, picture as to the strength of that desire in his heart, the determination in his heart. Now, there is no fault with his, with his bravery and courage to say, I, I, I'm ready to go and die 
but it is not what the Spirit wanted for Paul at that time. And uh, as the disciples have said, the will of the Lord be done, the Lord had to intervene to do something because it was as a result of this that Paul's ministry was to a great degree hindered and obstructed. So they arrive in Jerusalem and uh, Paul did not know what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. You see, Paul and his plan, he had, a, he had a particular scenario in his mind as to what was going to happen in Jerusalem and what he was going to do. God knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem long before. You know, saying, Paul, Paul, it's not like you think it is, Paul. Don't go. Paul, what you expect is not going to happen there. Something disastrous is actually going to happen there. I don't want you there. Acts 21, the story continues, verse 17. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with, uh, with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrote among the Gentiles by his ministry. Why is Paul giving an account of what God has done? You see, the church in Jerusalem was prejudiced against Paul. And we're going to see why in a little bit. But Paul is basically recounting for them all the events and occurrences and miracles and, and success that accompanied their preaching of the gospel as evidence that God was blessing it. Because there was a lot of doubt as to the genuineness of Paul's ministry among the church in Jerusalem. You realize that? Particularly among the Jews that believed on Christ at the time. And so this is what Paul is doing. And so this, uh, this meeting goes well. Praise the Lord. Verse 20. When they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews that are, there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So here are the elders, and James is among them, and they hear Paul's report, and they say, Paul, this is great. Praise the Lord for that. But Paul, we have a local problem here in the church. And the problem is this. We have thousands of Jews that have accepted the Messiah, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah. They've accepted him as Lord. But they heard about you, Paul, and they heard that you go all over the place teaching the Jews among the Gentiles to do what? To forsake Moses. And these Jews, Paul, they are zealous of the law. They have this zeal for the law. They feel that they are the protectors and guardians of God's law. And to them, what you're doing is a blatant heresy. This is the, this is the circumstance, right? And so poor Paul is coming to preach to the Jews that don't believe. He has a problem with the Jews that do believe who are Christians like him, who believe in the Messiah like him. Now, I want you to notice this uh, accusation very carefully because this accusation is actually a false charge. Paul never taught any Jew to forsake Moses. Paul did not do that. Paul's consistent teaching was that the Gentiles were not to be made subject to these Jewish provisions and rituals. But he had never ever taught any Jew that he should forsake Moses, as per the council decision in Acts chapter 15. But doubtless, as Paul would share the gospel with the Gentiles, and there would be Jews all over the place, they would hear that, Jew, that Paul is not enforcing the law of Moses upon them. 
He's actually telling the Gentiles they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have, they don't have to offer sacrifices. They don't have to go to the sanctuary. They don't have to keep anything special that was given to the Jewish nation. And so the Jews got the idea, this guy is a false preacher. He's doing away with the law of Moses. And word got back, of course, to the church in Jerusalem. And they had a headache in Jerusalem as they heard of all the churches that Paul would establish and you know, go from place to place and preach. And so they had this idea about Paul. And so he comes and the elders tell him, look, we have a problem here, Paul. All these Jews, they're going to hear that you're here. And they have this idea about you. We need to fix this problem. Now, Paul's teaching was not that he was doing away with the law of Moses, even for the Gentiles, but his teaching was that Christ, when he came, he is the fulfillment of all these beautiful types and symbols that were embodied in the law of Moses. All these rituals, these beautiful things that God had instituted, they were fulfilled and filled out in the life of Christ. It was as a picture that Christ came and gave us the reality of in full color, in 3D. This was Paul's consistent teaching. And so we find that uh, the church in Jerusalem had a plan. Acts 21, the story continues. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. We, in other words, we have a plan, Paul. We have a solution to this problem. Here it is. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. Great idea, right? Sounds great. Let us break down their prejudice, Paul. Let us have you get involved with these four men who have a vow, and the vow that they had upon them was a Nazarite vow. And they said, look, go with these men and, and, and go through the different rituals and ceremonies and the process of carrying out this vow. And as the people see that, they will see for themselves that you are a good law-abiding Jew, Christian Jew as such, that you keep the law. And here is where this advice contradicts itself. Verse 25, as such the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe what? No such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangle and from fornication. That was the Acts 15 decision. Here is James telling Paul, Paul, we want you to make a concession here for the sake of the Jews that believe who have this idea about you. We want to win them. So Paul, we want you to go along with this ritual with these four men who have this vow to win them. But Paul, between you and us, we know that the Gentiles don't have to do any of this stuff. Isn't that right? And Paul was the apostle to who? To the Gentiles. So Paul here was called upon to make a concession that would be contrary to his very teaching, as we shall see. Just want us to understand the circumstance here. But remember, Paul's great desire, Paul's heart is to reach the Jews. Here he comes, and he's, in his own church, he finds there is prejudice against him. And he wants, by all means, to break down this prejudice. And so his willingness and his desire, and whatever was in his mind, caused him to actually go along with this poor idea. I'll see how he went along with this plan, with good intention and good meaning. 
And verse 26 picks up, oh, I'm sorry, we, I read it, but uh, no, it's the same verse. Okay, verse 26, let's keep going. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. I don't want us to miss what was happening here, brothers and sisters. These men who had the Nazarite vow, part of the fulfillment of the Nazarite vow was that at the end of the days of purification, they would go into the temple and they would offer a sacrifice. Who was going to be there with them? Paul. You think there's something wrong with Paul offering a sacrifice? That's a tragedy. You know, if Paul had carried out this event, it would have been a black mark in the record of this great apostle of God. It would have tarnished his record. For him to go and offer a sacrifice, a lamb representing who? Christ. And so God had to intervene. And had to, God had to allow circumstances to take place to stop Paul because Paul did not stop when God had told him earlier. God had allowed a circumstance, an unnecessary circumstance, to arrest his apostle before he went too far. And so when Paul is coming with these four men to offer up the sacrifice in the temple, someone spots him in the temple, someone from Asia, say, hey, 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 that's Paul. Come, and he calls everyone and they go and they grab him and they arrest him and he never offered that sacrifice. Praise God. Do you know what people would have done today if Paul had offered that sacrifice? As it is, people do all manner of things out of the ceremonies of the Jewish law of Moses. And they blame it on Paul. Can you imagine if he had offered that sacrifice? And so God in his wisdom knew what would happen in Jerusalem. Paul had no idea this was what was going to take place. And he followed the well-intentioned advice of the elders and leaders in the church at the time. This was their idea. Some of these men wrote parts of the scripture, isn't that right? But that does not mean that every single decision they make is of the Lord. Very interesting account, brothers and sisters, full of meaning and full of instruction for us. Many times we have an idea about the early church that is not too realistic. They had differences, they had issues, there were circumstances there that developed that were difficult to deal with and understand. This is one of them. And then what happened? Let's keep going. Acts chapter 21, verse 30. So he gets arrested, right? I'm not going to go into all the details of that. You can read it later. Very interesting account. But that, that's a marker in the, in the experience and life of Paul. Verse 30, it says, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul. It's like they had nothing better to do in the temple, right? <laughs> it's like, hey, we're here he is. Forget the offering, forget the prayer, forget the sacrifice. Let's go arrest this one heretic and kill him. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that's the Roman soldier, or the captain, of course, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Man, what a scene. Jerusalem is crowded. It is packed with Jews from all over the empire. And they finally find Paul, this heretic, and he's in the temple. Brothers and sisters, come! We'll do worship after. we got to kill him first. That's, that's what it was. 
The whole city was in an uproar, so much so it says the captain heard that something's going on in Jerusalem. And what was it? It was the murder of the Apostle Paul it was about to take place. And he comes and he snatches them out of, him out of their hand. He was about to be killed. No surprise that God told Paul, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. You don't know what I know. Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul said, I'm ready to die. He was about to die. You know how many people he was going to convert in this death? No one. He didn't die, praise the Lord. The Lord intervened. The Lord saved him. But it was a painful circumstance. God had to, uh, had to allow certain things that he did not particularly want to happen to his apostle in order to finally accomplish what he wanted. And so Paul is arrested he is protected by the Roman soldiers. <clears throat> and this account gives us a very interesting insight into the life of this man and also into our experience as well. If the great Apostle Paul was not immune from making a mistake, then how much more we today? Isn't that right? It is so important, brothers and sisters, to even the convictions that we believe God would approve of that we see nothing wrong in, it is so important to still lay them before the Lord and seek His will. It is difficult for us sometimes to accept God's will when it contradicts what we think is God's will. I'm not talking about something wrong. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about something wrong and God says, don't do it, and we're like struggling with, with sin. No, it's so much harder when it's something good as far as we can see. Something noble, something that God would approve of. Surely God would want this as I feel. But God might feel different. And so it's at those times that we need to be especially careful. How many times good things were done and carried out which were not really God's will. Good things according to us. And so in this instance we find Paul sadly going through this particular experience because of his determination and his love for his brethren, the Jews. <clears throat> Introducing ceremonial aspects into the gospel, which is what Paul would have done through his act, doubtless, by concession even. This would have totally destroyed and contradicted the gospel that Paul was preaching. Don't you remember he wrote to the Corinthians, Christ our sacrifice is what? Uh, sorry, Christ our Passover is? Sacrificed for us. That's it. No more sacrifices. Then he goes to Jerusalem and he offers a sacrifice in the temple. The chosen messenger of God to the Gentiles. And he was going to destroy his own ministry. No wonder God had to intervene. Now, it's interesting because I, I, I think we all know the story. There was another account where Paul was caught by a mob. They took him out of the city and they stoned him and they actually what? Killed him. Remember that? God raised him and I said, keep going, no problem. It didn't happen here. Why? Paul had strayed just a little from where God had wanted him to be. God had to use circumstances. And these circumstances, of course, to save Paul from that came at a cost. A cost to the church and a cost to Paul as well. God was well aware <clears throat> of what was taking place. And no matter what Paul did, he could not dispel this charge, this reputation that he had 
obtained falsely in the minds of these Jewish believers. Kind of today, I find a similarity in, no matter how much you tell people that you don't believe Jesus is created, they still believe that you're preaching that Jesus is created. You know what I'm talking about? No matter what you do, no matter how many times you say it, no matter how loudly you say it, if you write on a piece of paper and show it, there is no way you can convince some people. That's, that's what it was with Paul. No matter what he did, he could not break down this prejudice in the minds of the Jewish believers that he was teaching the Jews to forsake Moses. This was not his teaching. And so his great hope of reaching his people was dashed. And it was dashed by these Jewish believers, which we know them in the scriptures. They're known by another name as Judaizers. They're known as Judaizers. They're the ones who followed in Paul's steps in all the different churches that he would establish. They would follow, and they would, in their belief, preach the rest of the gospel that Paul neglected to preach, which is, except you keep the law of Moses, be circumcised, and do all these different things, you cannot be saved. There were Christians who were doing that. You realize that? Jewish believers or Judaizers. And this was the great burden and trouble that constantly followed the Apostle Paul. His greatest enemies were not the Roman Gentiles or the pagan Greeks. They were not even the unbelieving Jews. His greatest enemies were his brothers and sisters who believed in the Messiah, the Jewish converts. You realize that? Kind of tells us, gives us a bit of an insight as to today as well. And it was because of, of his desire to appease and placate them to concede to them, to win them, that he ended up in this un, totally unnecessary circumstance. A little later when he was before the king, and the king was almost persuaded. Remember that story? Paul was preaching the gospel to a number of kings in chains. He didn't have to be in chains. God could have easily arranged for him to stand before them without chains. Isn't that right? But God used that circumstance, and he still turned it for good. And this is the beautiful thing. God does not give up on us, even though we make mistakes. God did not abandon Paul here. And God used Paul, and, and he blessed his ministry while in jail, and he used him to write some of the epistles that we read today. Beautiful, powerful messages for us as well. But I want us to think about something. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But here's the Apostle Paul languishing in jail. And you find that the book of Acts is... Uh, Begins with a bang, right? Very big bang in the book of Acts. Starts with the, with the day of Pentecost. That, that's what I mean, not the big bang, right? The, the, I mean, it starts with, with, a, with a powerful incident. And then I find that the book kind of fizzles out towards the end. It starts with Pentecost, this great outpouring of the Spirit and the gospel going out and thousands of converts. And then all through you read about places they go, doors open, miracles happen, churches being established. And then it just ends there in chapter 28. It says, and Paul was preaching in his house to anyone who came to him under house arrest. It fizzles out. You know why that is? Because of this incident that we just discussed today. I wonder how different... The book of Acts would have been had Paul not gone to Jerusalem. I really wonder what it would have been like. And here's poor Paul languishing in jail, and no doubt he would have reflected on what had happened on his way to Jerusalem, what had happened to Jerusalem, and what resulted in him being in jail. 
And so we find that while he is in jail, he is obviously hindered from roaming, from going and preaching. And he must have heard reports of these Judaizers who were traveling to all the different churches that he had established and causing all kinds of heartache and trouble. And how it must have burned in his heart, how it must have given him grief. Here he is sitting in jail, he can do nothing about it. And these people are going all over the place and sometimes supplanting whole churches, whole churches abandoning the teaching of Paul. And so he sends warnings to these churches in these letters. And it's very important for us, brothers and sisters, to understand this is the background. This is the, the mind frame that the apostle had when he composed some of his letters, what we know as the prison letters. Prison letters being Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and later on Philippians. That's where Paul was. That's what he would have been reflecting on. That's what he would have been thinking of, what had occurred, what had happened. And he had learned from his mistake. He had learned a great, uh, an important lesson from his mistake. That you do not win with false doctrine by concession. You do not gain false teaching or those who are teaching falsely by conceding and giving in to carrying out such practices. He learned that by a very painful experience. And so I find it interesting that he gives one such warning to the church in Colossae, recorded in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Here's what he tells them, from jail, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. By experience, Paul knew. He said, I conceded to the Jews. I was going to offer a sacrifice. I'm in jail because of that. So he tells the Colossians, don't let anybody trouble you. Don't let anybody give you grief or judge you or give you any heartache about the gospel that you believe in. The body and substance is of Christ. It is not in the shadows. Now, my, my point of this whole study is not about the shadows, but I'm just saying it helps us understand some of the context and meanings of these letters that Paul wrote at that particular time. If, uh, Ephesians is a companion epistle to, to Colossians. It was sent at the same time, and both letters explain each other and complement each other very well because they cover the same ground in different words. And so, we'll leave it at that. We'll come to the end. And we just want to uh, mention that, as I said before, prophets are human with good motives, with strong desires. They're not supernatural beings. And that's a deep lesson for us as well. It's a lesson especially for me too, because it tells us that long ex Christian experience, even if God has used you in a mighty way, if you have been blessed above measure, all these things do not make you immune from making a mistake from somewhere along the line, missing the will of God and making a blunder. We see that even in our Adventist history, right? Men that God used in a mighty way, they also blundered. And that's why sometimes we see great men, men who are speakers, men who are teachers in the scriptures, and then we find that they make some tragic, horrible mistake. That's not to excuse it but it's to show that these things do not make us immune. The great apostle Paul had that. And so it just is, is 
uh, an encouragement for us to be on extra guard and not to trust to what we think is right and just what God desires us to do. You see, the flesh, brothers and sisters, can wait. And it can wait just for the right moment when we think it's all well and just be led a little bit off track. And it can take us a long way off what God wants. And as I said, God does not abandon us. His promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, even though we leave him sometimes, God doesn't give up on us. Praise the Lord for that. And if God, you know, send us a message and say, no, no, I'll do this. God doesn't say, okay, that's it. We're not talking anymore. That's what some brothers do to each other, right? God does not treat us like that. Praise God. Or some brethren, you know, they disagree on a doctrine. That's it. They never see each other anymore. They don't talk anymore. That's it. And they wonder if one of them, if, if they wonder what's going to happen if both of them are in the kingdom. You know, they don't talk anymore. They don't go to their camps anymore. Don't, don't commune. That's it. This brother is a heretic. They have nothing to do. Praise God. Does, God doesn't treat us like this. God does not abandon us. And so the important thing is even if we fall, even if we mess up, we make a mistake, we go off track. God is not afar off. We can return. We can seek his face. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Paul learned through a difficult trying experience. Something that I don't believe he ever forgot. Paul's going to be in the kingdom, okay? Paul is not a rebel. That's not what I'm trying to say here at all. But Paul, the great apostle Paul, missed something along the way because of his great zeal. So I just pray that this will serve as a lesson for us, that we don't just walk in obedience to the will and voice of God. But even when God sends us a message contrary to what we would like or what we would think is his will, we need to pay attention and give heed to that. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.